Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey everyone, this is Jason. Welcome to another edition of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I am really grateful that you're listening today. I want to say thanks to everyone who has rated or reviewed the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you might be listening today. If you haven't done that yet, please do so. It helps send new listeners to the podcast, helps spread the word about the conversations that we're having here, and I would really appreciate it. Also want to say thanks to those who have joined the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. We're having some great conversations there around the themes raised here on the podcast. If you haven't joined yet, please do so. That helps me connect to you, helps you get to know me better, and helps the audience connect with one another. We're also planning an event to get as many people from the audience together as we can here at the beach in the panhandle of Florida later this year or early next year. And so you can find all the information about that as it's released on the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You'll find a link to that group in the show notes for this episode. And finally, I want to say a great big thank you to our patrons on Patreon. You help make this podcast happen. We could not do it without you. Recently, we introduced a brand new tier of support on Patreon called the Religion Rehab Online Book Club. At the $25 or $35 level or higher, you can get either an ebook or a physical copy of a book pertaining to the deconstruction, reconstruction journey. Somebody who's been down this road before and survived with some sort of faith intact. We send out that book on the first of every month. The folks read it. And then we can get together on a live Zoom video conference and discuss what we've read. I would love to have you in the Religion Rehab online book club. You'll find a link to our Patreon page in the show notes. We'd love to have your support for this podcast. Without further ado, here's this week's episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. The song you were just listening to was Tidal Wave. The artist is Derek Myers. Derek is an L.A. native transplanted in Atlanta, Georgia, with his wife, Rachel, and two sons, Rain and Rowan. In 2018, Derek released his debut EP entitled Rain Freedom from Furnace Music from Fredericksburg, Virginia. He's a diehard Dodger fan, shameless foodie, and has a fondness for good whiskey. More than anything, he longs for people to experience the freedom of knowing Abba's heart and seeing themselves as once deeply loved by him. Welcome, Derek Myers, to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Man, I am so excited to talk to you. I have loved your music for a while now on uh, Facebook, but just to be able to speak with you about it is a real honor. I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, let's go beyond the bio first up. How did you grow up? Did you grow up in an atmosphere of faith? You know, I did. I was raised in a pretty typical evangelical household. My my mom was primarily the, the largest influence, I'd say, in my upbringing. So in my formative years, I really had this kind of picture of God that I'd say a lot of evangelicals today still kind of view him through, which is in a sense kind of like someone who's very difficult to please. 
so from a very early age, I can remember just adopting this, this mindset uh, growing up in the church of feeling like I always had to be uh, a good boy. I remember distinctly my mom kind of drilling that home. And to my, you know, as time went on, Christianity just became this like blurred line to where I, I thought it would more had to do with morality and just being a good boy rather than just having, you know, an honest, real relationship with God. So yeah, for me, uh, and, and again, that's that's no knock to my mom. She's been awesome. Uh, she's she's done amazing things for for my journey. But I think just going through that that process and that upbringing kind of instilled some lies about what I understood to be, you know, Christianity as a whole. What were some of those lies that were instilled in you? Yeah. So, um, kind of what I was trying to hit at before is this idea that God was hard to please, and that you know I needed to perform to be accepted. You know, I, I have a lot of memories where I felt this obligation, this pressure. You know, as a kid, it's it's really strange. I, I have memories as, you know, during summer when my friends wanted to play in the neighborhood, I, I, I would tell them I couldn't play because I had to read my Bible for a half hour, an hour. I would feel this deep sense of guilt if I didn't, or if I didn't pray X amount of times. Um, I had to make sure I didn't say any bad words or you knew all the answers to Bible questions. And I just grew up with this mentality that being very religious and externally clean and neat, you know, kind of pharisaical, um, was what Christianity was. And what ended up happening is that there is this huge disconnect between my head and my heart. And uh, it ended up, you know, again, perpetuating that sense that I have to be perfect, essentially, in order for God to love me and accept me. And so that that was really... Uh, most of my brain. Now, I know that when we're doing well, when we're reading all those chapters <laughs> of the Bible every day, and when we're going to church, and we're doing the right things, and we didn't say any cuss words that day, that can feel good and feel like, you know, we feel blessed and favored by God and God's pleased with us. But there's a dark side to that, right? Because when we do let the cuss words slip, or we don't read the six chapters of the Bible every day, or we don't follow through on something we feel like God wanted us to do, that can bring about a lot of shame. Uh, did you have that experience as well? Totally. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting because what shame does and what guilt does is it drives that it almost, you know, like a treadmill, how you can uh, ramp up the speed. It's like it turns up the speed on the treadmill of performance that makes you feel like you've got to run faster to please God. And for me, that's what shame really did. It made me feel like I needed to run harder, do more, do, do, do was this constant focus that I had. And, and really it, it just, it came full circle in my early years, uh, in my twenties. But anyway, yeah, we can get to that in a minute, but yeah, that's, that's really what, you know, happened as I began to assess that lie about shame and, and, and guilt and fear, all those things just intermixed really started to distort my picture of who God was and is. Those lies are, they lead to a very exhausting life. Mm. At some point, I, at least for me and for many of the people listening today, um, you just get to a point where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Just screw it. I'm not good enough. Uh, did you come to a breaking point like that? Absolutely, actually. You know, through through my time growing up, I got into high school. I, you know, that that drive, that need for acceptance and approval wasn't just something that was vertical, so to say, with relationship with God. I, I really, because I didn't feel like I had approval from from Abba, I felt like I needed to find it elsewhere. So like many young men, they end up trying to find that approval from 
from women. And so uh, I finally got in my first relationship and that, that really, you know, became this place where I felt like, oh, now I'm finally fulfilled. I have someone who, who loves me and accepts me and all these things. And it got to a point where this, this mask I was wearing became thicker and thicker, so to say. Uh, I, I continued to live this double life of outwardly appearing religious, but inwardly being completely like a, a whitewashed tomb. And really, it got to a point where when this girlfriend had left me for my, my friend, I was completely devastated. And so, you know, kind of at rock bottom, I, I, I knew my, my life's purpose was meant to be devoted to Jesus in a way that wasn't half-hearted, you know, and not from a religious sense, but just from a, a deep, genuine place. I, I had that tug, tugging at my heart to even get out of that relationship uh, months before it ended. But anyway, when that all came crashing down, uh, I just kind of had this vacuum, this sense of emptiness and this space in my life where it, it caused me to really reevaluate priority and what was most important. And I remember getting involved in the college group at my church at the time back home uh, in the LA area. And I had a strong community, but it was shortly into that time where um, I distinctly remember one night you know, taking a shower <laughs> and as most revelations end up happening, at least for me, um, I was praying and I remember hearing the voice of God very clearly when I was asking him about the purpose for my life. And he really just sweetly and lovingly said, why do you think you haven't had interest in any other area of your life? And for me, that was really a turning point because I began to see that, you know, I was chasing after the wind in a lot of senses and my heart was never fully satisfied. So uh, it's always interesting to me when God asks us questions, because obviously it's not because he doesn't know the answers. <laughs> right. Uh, he has a way of unpacking things. At, at what point did you start to question the notion that God was keeping score in your life? That's so good. Yeah. It was really around that time. So it's, it's so strange. And I know others have experienced something similar, but right after that time of experiencing the quote unquote call to ministry, I really entered a dark night of the soul. And it was just this time where every day felt like an eternity. It felt like the depression I was sinking in was like quicksand. You know, the harder I strived and tried to get out of it, the worse it, it was and the more I sank. And so for me, uh, it was also strangely during that time that I really discovered a, a longing for worship. And worship just became this place of therapy, this place of um, solace and comfort, and really where the busyness and the restlessness of my mind and my heart was able to just reach this, this green pasture, if you will. And I remember just having influences like uh, Jonathan David Helser, who's still to this day probably my favorite worship leader, you know, really start to give me language for, for Abba, the, the, the father heart of God. And, um, you know, reading people like Brennan Manning. But during this dark night of the soul, um, faith felt about as tangible as the air. I remember feeling like, Jesus, in one sense, I know that you're right here. I, I, I know it. But in the other sense, I, I felt like he was a million miles away. A lot of that time was kind of the, the birthing place for the songs that were on the EP. But truly, I, I mean, that, that dark night of the soul lasted a couple of years. I remember just getting to the point of just many days where it was like a mental breaking point. And, you know, just being, you know, on my face, basically in worship, 
and again, not from like the religious obligation to perform. And, and maybe there was still some of that being worked out, of course, but it, it was largely because I just had this hunger and this deep desire to know the heart of God. But that striving began to completely be put to death when I reached some burnout while I was at Bible college. Uh, so I attended a small Bible college in Simi Valley, California. It was started by a really well-known pastor. But but anyway, while I was there, I, I just felt my, myself really breaking down. You know, I'm like, this is so strange. I feel like I'm in smack dab in the middle of where I'm supposed to be. I'm at Bible college. I'm learning all these things. I should be thriving spiritually. Well, I ended up just completely needing to escape, just to withdraw, kind of like a Jesus moment where he just went away to the hillside. I remember driving to a park, you know, it was another one of those moments where the voice of God collided with my situation. And it was like, he just wrecked every wall that I had uh, built up. I remember just praying, 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 trying to declare truth, all those things that we learned growing up in church. But really it wasn't until I stopped and I was like, I was panting from this exhaustive prayer this ritualistic kind of prayer to try to like earn something from God that I heard him clearly say, stop trying to do and just be. Those words marked my heart. They, they, they truly laid something foundational that was really a trajectory for the coming years. And, and I would say that was the beginning of the end of my striving. What did that look like for you? So, so often when we talk about striving to enter the rest that God calls us to, we, we think of it like work, like, okay, I've got to try harder to not try anymore, <laughs> right. which, which becomes this repetitive cycle that leads to frustration. So how did you unpack that in such a way that it actually felt like rest for you? Yeah. And I, that's a great question too. I think, you know, again, it, it does go back to worship. I, I remember just um, falling in love with just practicing stillness you know, and I didn't have language for it, but, it, you know, kind of a contemplative lifestyle of even meditating and really just allowing the words that I was listening to in certain worship songs to just wash over me, getting exposed to people who really introduced me to grace and really introduced me to what it meant to uh, be established in the finished work of Jesus. And I remember just being like completely uh, in this place of... Um, I guess that was, in a sense, kind of the beginning of my deconstruction as well, uh, moving away from a lot of this legalism and into this place of really seeing Abba's heart as one that's unconditionally loving, unconditionally accepting. Um, you know, I remember realizing at a certain point, like I had mentioned before, where faith had felt so intangible during that dark night of the soul, where the Holy Spirit, again, after one of those exhaustive prayer days where I just felt restless and my mind was spinning, he just simply said, faith is a gift. And I remember that just took the pressure and the weight off my shoulders. You know, he was beginning to show me what it meant to, to be living in that lifestyle of his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and that he's come to give rest for my soul. And so that began to really influence the, the music I digested, but also the music that, that came out of me. And uh, these spaces where I just longed to, to rest, just be, you know, going back to that that time that God had spoken um, when I was at the park. But, but yeah, I don't know if that answered the question, but, but really for me, that was really what started framing rest. It's not trying to do something, but just kind of existing, you know? Did that deconstruction period that you went through, did that change your relationship to the church in any way? I would say initially, no. Deconstruction is interesting, right? You know, it's, it's become such a buzz term, of course, and 
there's a lot of value to that uh, and bringing understanding to what you're going through. And I was talking to a close friend, uh, Chris, not too long ago about this very topic. And it's kind of hard to pinpoint. I'm sure you could probably relate, Jason, um, when your deconstruction started. I mean, some people might have a, a distinct memory. It was this point, And from that moment on, I was never the same. But but truly for me, it was it was kind of like a a series of of waves, kind of the tide would ebb and flow. And so, you know, it started again with that that resting and and not striving, understanding that faith is a noun <laughs> more than it is a verb. Yes, there's action, of course, that come with it, but the actions produced from not from me, but from Holy Spirit who indwells us, right? So anyway, um, yeah, the deconstruction started there, but I would say it really came full circle this year uh, of of all times, and uh, that's when I think my my relationship, or at least my 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 understanding of what church has been and what it looks like now and where it should be really began to change. Well, let's unpack some of that because that's really interesting to me. We've just recently been doing a series on uh, the church that we dream of. Uh, But before we talk about your ideal picture of church, let's talk about God. Who do you believe today that God is? Yeah, for me, it always comes back to God as Father. And uh, you've probably already heard me say it uh, a few times, but I love referring to God as Abba. To me, it paints an internal picture of a tender, kind, compassionate, loving, faithful, and trustworthy dad. The ideal picture of what a nurturing father should be. And, and, you know, really kind of understanding that he's already pleased with me and he's already proud of me uh, is what brought that whole picture full circle and and what made his father heart so special to me. And I would say, you know, if someone asked one word, it's Abba. So what do you think that Abba wants from us? Nothing, nothing at all. In fact, I I think, you know, I I would say he would want us to, to realize that he, all he wants is our heart. And and I, I guess that's a little bit of a paradox, right? He wants nothing, but he wants our heart. But I know for me that when I start thinking of what does he want from us, my mind goes back to the days of where there's that sense of obligation to to measure up to some standard. Um, and again, I'm not saying that that was your intent for the question, but yeah, for me, understanding that you know I have nothing to prove because I'm fully approved makes me you know feel free to to just be right to just be myself and to to know that I'm fully loved as I am. Well, I asked that question specifically because I, I was really hoping that would be your answer. Nothing is such a powerful word in relation to that question. You know, so many of us, we operate out of rejection and fear rather than love and acceptance. And your music has the smell of love and acceptance. So much worship music today uh, seems like it's still striving, right? We're, we're giving God glory because he's an mm. egotistical maniac who loves to hear about how great he is. Um, but that's not <laughs> the sound of your music at yeah. all. And I really appreciate that about you and, and your work. Uh, you're operating out of love and acceptance. And there's not many people that I come in contact with who would say nothing when asked, what does God want from us? But the reality is, I mean, he, God just seems to want us to know that we're loved. And that changes everything. And obviously it has for you. Mm, it really has. And, um, you know, really from, 
from the beginning of that, that journey that I was talking to you about where the dark night of the soul, that was so painful. Um, the, the, the weird thing about suffering as horrible as it is, and as much as whenever we go through hard times, we would never want to relive it. It's just so beautiful that, that God could bring such a redemptive aspect to, you know, the brokenness that we face. Um, you know, knowing that we're, we're never alone in that journey. I know for me, uh, one of the biggest things and, and actually was the inspiration for, for Tidal Wave, which you all got to hear at the beginning of uh, the podcast was this revelation that uh, Jesus has me and he's not letting go. And I, I think that really in, in that time when, when I was going through the, the dark night of the soul, it, it, was, it was a time where I, I felt like completely insecure, right? That, that I didn't even feel the ability to muster up faith, which again, I don't believe is actually possible. <laughs> but that place of knowing that Jesus securely has us, even in the midst of the worst things that we face, brings me so much hope and so much peace and so much security. And so I'm, I'm really beginning to see that be a constant thread, uh, uh, a, a redemptive thread that's woven into each and every season of life that there is the unshakable, steady rock of his faithfulness. Tell me about what the ideal, what does the ideal version of church look like in your mind? What is the church meant to be? Family. Absolutely family. Around that time that I had um, sensed a call to ministry, um, I, I was asking God, you know, what does this look like? I, I had this picture of preaching from the pulpit and, and you know, having a mega church one day, you know, just kind of the almost American dream of evangelicalism, um, if you're you know, sensing a call to ministry. Anyway, that idea began to obviously fade away. Uh, thank God. <laughs> but over time, you know, God began to show me that his heart for the church and his heart for me was to be an ambassador of unity and to really be someone who bridges the divide that exists in the church. I mean, um, I'm not sure if this statistic is right or not. I've heard conflicting things, but the fact that there is estimated to be over 40,000 denominations worldwide says a lot about the division um, that exists. And if we're meant to be family, family is meant to, through all the mess and through all the junk and through all of the ups and downs, stick together because we have the common bond that we are one. We're family. We're, you know, we're, we're held by love. And we have the common bond in the sense that we all have the same dad, the same big brother, Jesus, and we're, we're glued together by, by the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's just this place where we realize, when we begin to realize that we have more in common than we have differences, I believe we'll start to live as family. Everyone has quirky members of their family, right? I'm sure you can relate. I've got some strange extended family members. Everyone does. When you get married, you, you have a set of in-laws, right? But you become family and you learn how to relate and love one another despite their differences. But I feel like we've become so hyper-focused on how the other is different. And uh, it, that, that's just kind of deteriorated and corroded away at our love. So yeah, that's a long-winded answer saying, you know, we're meant to be family. It's, it's, it's a special place when we can, we begin to operate as that because when we live as family, that's when the, the quote unquote world will begin to know that we're disciples of Jesus. You know, family for so many people is more toxic than healthy. 
And so when they hear the idea that the church is a family, maybe they struggle with that. Maybe they're like, I don't need another family. My family is a burden rather than a blessing. How do we get back to health as a church family that is willing to reach across those aisles that you talked about and love that extended family that totally disagrees? I know one of the things that's so hard for so many in deconstruction is relating to their family members who don't understand the change in them, who don't see why they feel differently about God or why they've left long-held beliefs about God or the church or the Bible. How do we reunify the family? I, I think that's that's uh, been a pressing concern on my heart too, You know, going through deconstruction, especially seeing it come to a head this year where my views of scripture, you know, hell, atonement theory, I mean, all, all of the hot button topics, the pillars of deconstruction, if you will, those truly do affect how we we relate to the rest of the church. And there's this temptation, even within deconstruction and, and more of the quote unquote progressive side of Christianity to fall into the same trap um, of dogmatism or fundamentalism, where we end up persecuting the other side and doing the, the very thing that we hated was being done to us. You know what I'm saying? So we live in this dualism where it's, it's I'm right, they're wrong, when we should try to find out how to have conversations, how to learn to communicate and see the good in each other and understand that, yes, even if it's hard for us to, to be honest, uh, even if it's hard for us to, to share those, those places of questioning, the more, at least I've learned in my experience, the more that I've been honest with my struggles and my questions, the more it's freed others to do the same. There's something contagious about vulnerability that brings down the defenses of the, the person that you're engaging in conversation with. I'd say most people, even within the church, let's say if I was engaging with a five-point Calvinist, which I was one, or I wasn't quite a five-point Calvinist, but I was probably like a four and a half-point Calvinist at one point. You know, if you're engaging with someone like that, if you if you talk very openly and vulnerably and humbly um, with them, chances are they're going to be willing to listen. But I think we come out guns blazing because we're <laughs> we're so used to getting that attack or, or being a fearful of, of judgment that it, it really puts us on guard. But but again, going back to what you were saying, a, a lot of people do have rough upbringings and. Uh, we're unfortunately introduced to family from a very traumatic context. And, you know, my heart breaks for that. That was never, that was never God's intent for them biologically or spiritually to be a part of a family. And equally, right, you know, as people have experienced some trauma within the church family, or I'm sorry, within their biological family, they've likewise experienced that within the church. And, you know, the reality is, is the more that we learn to admit our faults and admit where we've got it wrong and move toward healing and move toward communication and resolution. That's when we're going to begin to see change. But I truly think it all boils down to keeping it as basic and as simple as possible. And really you can't get more basic than, than Jesus and love. Right. And I, I really think that we can agree upon that. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Let's talk about your music. Do you remember performing in front of an audience for the first time? <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I laugh because it was not pretty. <laughs> I don't know if it was my exact first time, but <laughs> in high school, um, my senior year, I joined our advanced choir. We called it Reflections. And uh, I had my first solo. <laughs> 
And I remember uh, we had a show for our parents and other people to come check out what we've been working on. And I came in at the wrong time and I just started fumbling over my words. Um, And it was the biggest train wreck. I was so embarrassed. Thank God that that didn't derail all of my hopes for music in the future. But that certainly was (laughs) a rough way to begin things. So yeah, that was a bit of my first experience. That sounds like a rough beginning. Did 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 that make you not want to perform in the future? It's funny. I, I had been running from music and worship, you know, for quite some time. Even still to this day, I'm like, it's it's really surreal that this is what I do, that it, this is actually a core part of who I am. This strange sort of um, inability to reconcile <laughs> with part of who I am, and I don't know what that is. But but anyway, that's probably another another conversation for another time. But what I was trying to say is that 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 didn't really affect the trajectory. I think that it got to a point where I couldn't fight it any longer. I couldn't shake this passion that was inside of me just to to allow for music and worship to be an expression of intimate friendship uh, with God. Mm. And that to me was what that space was. There weren't any boxes that I needed to put God in. There weren't any hoops that I had to jump through. There weren't any ladders that I needed to climb with worship and music. It was, I was free to, to, to put pen to paper, figuratively speaking, as I you know, wrote these things out and I just poured out my heart on, on page to craft these songs. And a lot of the songs that I've written have come out of the spontaneous moment of just me and my guitar and just allowing these, these honest cries in my heart to, to really form my music. So yeah, it, it, it was redeemed. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, it went from being a traumatic experience to being one of um, great healing. Tell us what led to the EP Rain Freedom back in 2018. Yeah. Um, so when I was at Bible college, again, this was kind of in the middle of me playing Jonah with my desire to be involved with worship and music. I had this sort of, I wouldn't call it a vision, but I just imagined and one day as I was walking to class, releasing music and using it as a platform to invite people into really meeting God authentically and deeply and experiencing the freedom of knowing him and knowing truly internalizing his love. So uh, it was during that time that I started songwriting, what turned in more of like a journaling exercise and what became kind of just a personal thing for me started turning in, Hey, you know, I think this is pretty good. I want to share it with my friends who also are pretty gifted musically and they'd give me feedback. And over time I, I developed a short log of songs. You know, the EP is actually just four songs of so many more. And it was hard to, to choose the four to go on there. But yeah, it was really over the years of, of, of writing and, and fine tuning and realizing that what God had shown me and, and what he'd revealed of him, his heart to me was something that I, I wasn't meant to keep to myself. Because I, I truly believe that these things that that Abba has shown me of who he is, is something that could bring a lot of hope and healing to others going through their own dark nights of the soul. So yeah, and, and truly, I, you know, I was even hesitant in fighting <laughs> recording. I, I um, had this fear of making it about my ego instead of about worship and all that stuff. But that was residue of performance, Christianity, and, and feeling this need to, I don't know, be perfect in how I release music, which is just a joke. <laughs> So anyway, uh, my wife is very blunt. She's very black and white. So she's like, 
uh, Derek, you're going to do this and you need to do it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so thankfully she gave me some tough love. <laughs> Isn't it, isn't it awesome when God speaks to us through our wives like that? Oh, yeah. I've heard it said that the voice of God is often disguised as the voice of our wives. And that is... That's right. <laughs> Definitely true for me as well. You mentioned Brennan Manning earlier. He has had such an impact on me. And I almost feel an immediate kinship with anyone who uses the word Abba because of Brennan Manning. Who have been the biggest influences on you both personally and musically? I always like to talk about Brennan because I remember when my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, told me that I needed to read this book called Abba's Child. I was like, oh, that sounds really, really cool. You know, and, and I had language already because of the journey that I was already on uh, for a little while, getting to know the father heart of God. But through reading Abba's Child, I remember just getting to the the chapter on the imposter. I don't know if you remember that, if if you have read that book, but... Oh man, that chapter, I mean, wrecked me. I I remember just crying and crying and just being like something in me deeply, deeply needed to be healed, uh, deeply needed to to hear that it was safe to take off my mask. Um, Because again, my whole life, I was believing this lie that I had to be someone else to be acceptable. So yeah, Brennan really helped give me language for that. And you know, Jonathan David Helser, like I'd mentioned musically, was hugely foundational and formative with, with my sort of my flair and, and some of how I write because he also was influenced by Brennan as well. So that was pretty cool too, to find his music. He has a song called Abba as well, which comes from Brennan Manning's prayer, Abba, I Belong to You, which was meant to be a breath prayer. But Anyway, so so yeah, those are a couple guys. Um, also, uh, I'd say Dustin Kensru from Thrice. Thrice is probably one of my all-time favorite bands. Love them a lot. And yeah, I, I, there's been so many influences. It's hard to just choose a few. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I, you know, I just remember just digesting so many different genres, even within the worship scene, that really just kind of helped me see that expression, arti- you know, artistic expression, especially musically, looks so different. And, and my hope in, in, in continuing to evolve as an artist is to be as true to my sound as possible and to truly discover that and not hide it and not feel like I need to have it be something else than it is. So I, I'm really excited for the future because I think that the more that I, again, I'm at peace with who I am because I know how my Abba sees me the more I'm able to invite people in that same space that, Hey, we have nothing to hide. We have nothing to prove. This is a, this is a space of freedom. And I I feel like that's the best place for encountering his heart. So yeah, I mean, those have been some of my influences and probably leaving a lot of names off the list. That's okay. We always do. (laughs) One of my favorite songs on your EP is the song we're going to close out the broadcast with today, Made to be Loved. Can you tell us about what that song and what it means to you? Absolutely. Yeah, that that song, it's funny. Um, when I ask a lot of my friends like what their favorite song is that I've written, it, it always goes back to that one. And that's such a special song for me because that was in the middle of that time that I was talking about earlier, where for me, it was this tug of war of, God, I feel like there's so much shame. There's so much guilt. There's so much that I have to, to prove of myself but I know that's not true, but it's, it's that internal wrestling, uh, you know, and I, I talk about that 
you know, I could, I could fail a million times. I, I could do all these things, all these things, but you still love me the same. And it, it was this sort of speaking to myself, like, you know how David would do, he would remind his soul of, of truth and his, his songwriting. Uh, it was kind of that. And that's what largely a lot of my songwriting is. It's reminding myself of what God has spoken over me. So, you know, when it, it got to that point of, I was made to be loved. And I, that, that truly was the cry of my heart is this realization, this light bulb. It's, I can't escape his love. Even if I ran a thousand miles away, even if I failed a million times, even if I let go of my faith, like all of that stuff, it, it does not matter. There's nothing that I can do to escape his love because that's my primary purpose is just to be loved by him. Yeah. So that, that was really, a, you know, such an encouraging time to write that for me because it just, it was like a, a close and a completion of some healing that, that took place along the journey. Well, I love that song so much. I'm excited to share a piece of it with our audience today. Before we do that, tell us what you're working on now. What's next for you? Yeah, I, I'm, um, I'm actually kind of dabbling in a couple different things. Um, I'm, I'm working with my brother-in-law to uh, do a little tribute band um, to, to gig here and there just for fun. So uh, we're, we're starting to practice for that. More of my own stuff uh, and worship-wise, um, I've had this dream for for years to craft an entire album that's strictly spontaneous. So getting into a space where there's no agenda other than I want to meet with God. I want to meet with Jesus in this space. And I just going to see what happens by just pouring out my heart and, and listening for his voice. And so I know a lot of times that certain worship artists will incorporate the spontaneous into some previously crafted songs. But I think my next project, if I could um, say definitively or as close to definitively as possible, is going to be uh, a strictly spontaneous album. And uh, I think it's just going to be me and a guitar, which is, I think, again, going back to that place of this is my DNA. This is who I am. I'm not hiding behind any production necessarily. This is just the raw, honest me. And uh, I, I want the raw and the real to be the space where people can connect with the heart of God. I love the sound of that. Do you have a time frame in mind for that? Yeah, um, the, you know my time frames are really funny. Like when I when I was trying to release my first EP, I was like, "Yeah, spring of 2017, it's going to be out," and it didn't release till May of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> I say, knowing that it probably won't happen this soon, I want it to release by this summer. So the hope is to get a, a night of gathering people and and do a live recording in a space in the spring and then do all the, the mixing and mastering from there. So awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I love your music. I love the EP. I love the heart behind it. I'm so grateful for your time here today. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Before we go, how can people find your music and engage with you online? Yeah. So um, the EP is available on all platforms, um, Spotify, you know, Apple music, Google play, Anything that you can find music online should be on there. Let me know. If you can't find it, I'll make sure to get it on there. But anyway, the best way to connect with me, though, I'd love to stay in touch and meet some of you virtually speaking. On Facebook, you can find my music page on facebook.com backslash Derek Myers Music. And you can uh, connect with me on Instagram and Twitter as well, at Derek Myers Music. That's D-E-R-E-K-M-Y-E-R-S. I'm sure you'll see the spelling on there. 
on the show notes as well. So Awesome, man. We are going to link to your social media and to the EP in the show notes for this episode. So listeners, you can find all of the contact information right there. Derek, thank you so much, brother. I love you. Thank you, Jason. Love you too, man. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> 